Good morning. We bless the name of God this morning for our presence here today. We thank God for this day. The Bible just saying everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. We would bless God because he's God and uh, he puts no more on us than we can bear. And whatever he does, he still loves us. He cares about us. And I'm grateful for uh, being here today. And uh, I would like to say that um, I did talk to Jimmy on Friday evening. My wife and I were having a little brunch. And he called and he shared with me. And he asked me to come. And I'm here today. And not that I have words to say. The only thing that I have are words from the Lord. And the word of the Lord gives us strength. It gives us encouragement. Amen. And today, I bless God for our presence. First of all, to the Bacon's Castle uh, Baptist Church family, your beloved pastor, Jimmy, his beloved wife, Anne, and uh, the family assembled today. First of all, I bring you words of comfort. I bring you words of encouragement and I bring you words of strength from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three through four reminds us that our God is a God of comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. And David said in Psalm 46 that God is our refuge and our strength and our present help even in the time of trouble. Brother Jimmy shared it in his uh, remarks as he read them. On April 21, 1997, I was working in the confines of Newport News shipbuilding, attending a meeting on a ship and I heard my name called over the PA system. And I remained in the conference room until the meeting was over and then proceeded down the pier. And I met my carpooler, Ron Gwaltney. And he told me that the office had called me and told me to come home because my daughter had been involved in an accident. I left the workplace and I proceeded home. And when I arrived home, my wife and my kids were in the yard along with Pastor Jimmy. My wife explained that Tamara had been involved in an accident and that they had met her back to her to MCV. So we heard to MCV, went to the emergency room and was met by the hospital chaplain where the doctor shared the sad news that our beloved daughter, Tamara of 24 years young, had died as a result of her injuries. We grabbed each other and cried and prayed and prayed and cried. And of course, they allowed us to see her and we remained for some time. Uh, They're comforting my wife and my children. And then we eventually came home. Then upon arriving at, at, at home, we were met by family and friends. And of course, Pastor Jimmy and the Bacon's Castle Baptist Church family was right there. And Sister Beverly, I saw her, I grabbed her a few moments ago, I'll never forget. When I walked in the house, she gave me a big old godly hug. 
Man, and that gave me strength. And it gave me comfort. And it gave me encouragement. I cannot say that I know what you're going through. However, I can say that I can relate to what you are going through. I do know what it is to lose a child. A God-fearing child that was saved and loved the Lord. And I do not understand why she had to die. However, the scripture says that all have to die. The saved, the unsaved, the good, the bad. Because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. Also learn that we have to accept what God allows. That's what my daughter Charlotte gave me. Being Tamara was young and vibrant and energetic. and She was kind of a woman in her own rights. Just about getting ready to build a house and all of those kinds of things. But we have to learn to accept the divine will of God. Because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his ways are higher than ours. Way past finding out. I want to thank Pastor Jimmy and the elders of this church for allowing me this opportunity to stand before you and to share with God's people during this untimely transition of shepherd, Pastor Acres' son. Before we go further, shall we pray? God, I bless your name for this day. Bless you, God, for what you've been to us and how you've blessed us and strengthen us and even encourage us during this time. I pray God today, Lord, as I've been prayed before for uh, this church family and I pray for Jimmy and Anne and the children. I pray even as I stand before your presence and the presence of your people that thou wouldst give us words. I pray God that thou wouldst send forth an anointing that makes teaching and preaching easy. Lord, anoint these lips of clay and shall give thy name praise, glory, and honor. In the matchless name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Thank God. Let the church say amen. And amen. I want to bring you just a few words today relating to the God of comfort, the God of encouragement, and the God of strength. With the aid of the Holy Spirit, I want to do what Isaiah said in chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. The text begins in Corinthians, and maybe we ought to read that. Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be unto you and God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Those of you that might want to go back and check, you can read down through verses 11. So this morning, I want to share a little bit regarding the God of mercies. 
The text itself begins with our God, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations. Whatever we are going through, the Lord knows about it because he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. Note that God is not a God of mercies, but God is the Father of mercies. He is one of compassion, pity, and mercy. His very nature and behavior toward us is that of a father. And all fathers love their sons. And our father who is merciful and compassionate, and he showers his mercies upon us continually. For his mercies are brand new every morning. Don't we see them? In verse 3, he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. In verse 4, God provides comfort equal to the suffering that the sufferer might be a testimony to others. In verses 5, God allows suffering to steer other believers and non-believers as well. The word comfort means to be by the side of another. And I want the family, this church family, to know that we are by your side. Thank you, Jesus. We're by your side to bring relief and support. We're here to give solace, consolation, and encouragement. Thus, hopefully, we will provide strength and enablement and a confidence to let you know that God loves you, he cares about you, and God doeth all things well. Comfort not only consoles and relieves a person, but strengthens him at the same time. The question comes to mind, how do we know that God is like this? How do we know that God is a God of mercies and a God of comfort? How? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was God who so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was his son that demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might live and have the right to eternal life. A father could show no greater mercy than to give his son for the sin of others. God has had mercy on us. He continues to pour out his mercies and comfort upon us. Why does he do that? Because of his nature. His very nature is that of a father. I told you earlier that he is the father of mercies, not the God of mercies. And a father of mercies and a God of all comfort, caring and concerned about what we're going through. First of all, God... Even in the midst of what we're going through, the Bible, Job talked about life uh, having trouble. And in life, it's like sparks that grow up. My granddad and you say, if it ain't one thing, it's another. And that's just the way that life is. So even in life, there are trouble. And, and, and it's just like one thing right after another. So we have a God of comfort who is there to sustain us. And to keep us. Because of the pain and suffering associated with Shepherd's death, it has left this family, the Bacon's Castle Church family, pressed and crushed. The pain 
that we all are suffering the loss. However, we have a hope. We who are living in this world, if we are, have hope only in this world, then we are among men most miserable, the Bible says. But we have hope that they that die in the Lord have ceased from their labors, and they've gone to be with the Lord. It is the picture of a beast of burden being crushed and pressed beneath a load that is too heavy. This weight that we are going through now is heavy because we are grieving and we're sorrowful and there is a pain. But the Lord is a God of mercies. And Jesus himself said, blessed are they that mourn. Thank you, Jesus, for they shall be comforted. The beast of burden is the picture of a family and friends having a heavy weight placed upon them and pressed and crushed to the point that they feel that they're not going to make it. I can't survive after this. And this is what my wife and I thought concerning Tamara. Lord, why Tamara? Let me say this too. If you can't ask God why, then who can you ask? I'm not saying that you're going to learn all of the answers right now. But in due time. I know from my daughter, one of my nieces came and she sat down on the bed and shared with us. And of course, she had been through a lot of things in life and a lot of things she had did Tamara hadn't done. And she cried and she said, why Tamara? But you know what happened to her? She surrendered her life to the Lord. So the Bible says, for we know all things doth work together. These things, some of these we will not be able to see nor understand. But for them that love the Lord, then we rest in God's word. I want the family of God to know that God comforts us. As believers, his mercies and comforts are for everyone. Jesus himself was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief, for he knows what we are going through. For the songwriter penned it this way. We are our heavenly father's children, and we all know that he loves us, one and all. Yes, there will be a time that you will find the answer, and then another voice will come. But if you are willing, he will teach you his voice to obey. No matter where or what causes, he knows. Yes, God knows just how much we can bear. Therefore, we can do as Peter. First Peter has admonished us to do. That is to cast our cares upon him. For he careth for us. We can carry all of our grief and all of our cares, all of our worries, and all of our sorrows to him. Our Father, the sovereign God of the universe, controls all and is not off in a distance someplace removed from us because he's a present help even in the time of trouble. His spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is right here with us to comfort us in all of our tribulations. A lot regarding Ethan's passing we will not understand because his thoughts, God's thoughts, are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. However, for we know that all things doth work together for the good of them that love the Lord and them who are the called according. Our scripture this morning is... Thank you, Brother Charles, for your words this morning. 
I've been here for a while, but I wasn't here when your daughter died, so I didn't realize that you had lost a child and about the same age and everything. I remember when you, when you shared from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I remember the, uh, the church that I grew up in, our memory verse each week would have, they would just ask someone in the church to choose a memory verse for the whole church. And that was the blessed be the God of all comforts. That was the verse that I chose when I was probably 16 years old. So that was a, a flashback for me. You know, it's a tough morning this morning, but um, how would you like to have all this and not have the body of Christ to support you? Grieving as those who have no hope. That's what that means. You're alone. I was talking to someone recently, and they, and they were struggling. They needed to load some furniture, and they had no one. And I thought, what is that like to have no one to call on? What a strange world to live in where there is nobody around you that will just come because they're your brother or sister in the Lord. So I thought about that, just, just thinking about that this morning, as Charles shared and as the, the songs were, were sung, this is why God put us in a body, for support in the hard times and for straightening us out in the, hard, in the rough times for us, to keep us in line and to give us courage to make it to the finish line. So this morning, I want to talk about something that has been... It's been a blessing to me through the years, and I've titled it Broken Jars. So, back to 2 Corinthians, if you want to follow along. Reading in chapter 4. The Apostle Paul could speak with authority on this uh, particular aspect of life because... (laughs) His life had been shattered from one end to the other when Jesus came into it, and he was never the same, and he was never that well off from that point on. Um, So he speaks, I think, something that we can all identify with this morning. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret, secret things, not walking in deceit, or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus." For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, 
Everything is for your benefit, so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That is, that's a lot right there. And so this morning I want to I speak from, a, from, a, from a, a similar perspective to what we're going through, but I want to speak from the perspective of those of us if you will, who are left behind, those of us who have to pick up the pieces and move forward, and what that means for us. Uh, to me, to me, the, the line in here, now we have this treasure in, in clay jars, is one of those lines in the scripture that's just as, it's gripping because of its, of its poetic nature. And uh, it's, that's the reason I titled it this morning, Broken Jars. So I want to, I want to, Go back and look at it. We'll focus in on that, and then we'll kind of expand out and look at the whole thing. So it says, now we have this treasure, this treasure, which is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. And yesterday I was thinking about this, and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a mindset, there's a word picture that comes to your mind when you, when you read these words, but... I suddenly tied it to an Old Testament passage that got me excited because I actually think this might be what Paul is referencing in this passage. So we're going to go back and read a story in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. So if you want to turn to Judges, um, chapter 7. And if you know the book of Judges and you know anything about Gideon, you know where this story is going. The Midianites have oppressed the Israelites because the Israelites were refusing to follow the Lord, refusing to stay connected to Him. And so the Midianites had taken over their country under God's allowing it, and life was miserable for them in that moment. And one day Gideon, um, God, the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to him and says, I want you to take back the land, kick out the enemies of Israel because um, you guys are repenting, and I want to do something for it. And so Gideon sends out the call, and 32,000 men come. Let's go beat those Midianites. Now, keep in mind that the Midianites, according to a later passage, have at least 135,000 men in the army. So 32,000 still isn't very much in comparison, numbers to numbers, right? So 32,000 people assemble. Gideon is convinced now that God is on his side, that the Lord is directing them, and this is what God, the Lord of hosts, the one who controls the universe, says to Gideon, you have too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you. Or else Israel might brag, I did it myself. In chapter 7, verse 3, now announce in the presence of the people, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people went home. Now I have to admit those men were courageous in their fear because most men won't admit they're scared in, a bunch, in the face of a bunch of other people. But 10,000 people remained, and Gideon's probably thinking, Whew, 15 to 1. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many people. Ugh. I'd have been asking whether I'm still talking to the Lord at this point. Take them down to the water and tell them 
Do a test. If you say to them, if I say to you, this one can go, he can go. But if I say about anyone, he can't, then don't bring him. Verse 5, so he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. I don't know the significance of it, but for some reason or another, that's how God chose to separate them. At the end of it, the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped. So he's gone from 32,000 down to 300 in the face of 135 to 150,000 people. 300 men. Now, if you're like me, in today's world, your world sometimes feels like it's 300 men against 150,000. Sometimes I say like Elijah, God, I'm the only one left. And God says, get up. There's still 7,000 out there. But 7,000 in the face of millions, that's not much. I don't think that Gideon was feeling a great deal of confidence in this moment. I know I wouldn't have been had I been Gideon. That night the Lord said to him, go down to the Midianite camp. And so he goes into the camp. Sneaks in, because if you find him, he kills him. When he arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and struck a tent, and it fell. And the loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. And his friend said, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. Now, I'll tell you, if I had a dream about a loaf of bread, I would not immediately assume that it's a warrior that's about to kill all of us. But somehow, God... Put this together for him. And so when Gideon heard the account of the dream, he bowed in worship. He returned to Israel's camp and said, Get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp to you. Now, he divided the men into three companies and gave each man a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher or a clay jar with a torch inside it in the other. Watch me, he said, and do the same. When I come to the outpost of the camp, do as I do. I and everyone with me will blow our trumpets. You are also to blow your trumpets. And then you will say, for Yahweh and for Gideon. So he sends out these 300 men. They circle. I don't know how they circle the camp, but they get out there somehow or another around it. And inside each, each man, can you imagine getting sent to war with a pitcher for an empty pitcher? You don't even get water in it to go to you know, take a drink in the middle of battle and a torch and a trumpet. And I think the torch, clearly the torch is inside the pitcher, so I'm thinking it's more like a, you know, a little candle or a lantern or something that's, that's able to burn in there on its own. God, what in the world are you doing here? And so he says, when I give the command, when you hear my trumpet, you start sounding your trumpets. The three companies blew their trumpets and shattered their pitchers, their clay jars. They held their torches in their left hand, their trumpets in their right hand, and shouted a sword for Yahweh and for Gideon. When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets, the Lord set the swords of each man in the army against each other. They fled as far as the border of Abel Meholah near Tabath. Then the men of Israel called and they pursued the Midianites. And it goes on to say that of that 135,000, they killed 120,000 in the next day. Huge, incredible victory was won with not even a weapon, but clay jars. Now, I don't, I don't know, I cannot say categorically that that's the passage that Paul had in mind when he was talking about this. But I want to go back and look at it and, and uh, 
thinking about the lesson of Gideon, I want to go back and look at this passage again. So the problem, the problem for us with being on this side of the eternal reality is that we can't see the whole picture. And unfortunately, we get, we get hung up because I know for me, I'm going to speak for myself. If you, agree, if, you, if you identify with what I'm saying, I'm going to assume you're a human like me, or maybe if you don't, then you're further along than me or something. But I get hung up on something because I can't see the whole picture. I get depressed because I don't know the end result. I get discouraged because I don't see the eternal weight of glory yet. And I wind up stuck in between. I wind up stuck in the doldrums where I don't really believe God's promises because I haven't seen enough of it yet. I have the light of Christ in me, but it's in a clay jar. Now, What was the point of the clay jar in Gideon's story? You guys go get a clay jar and put a light inside it. The only reason for the jar was to hide the light so they could strategically get in position so that a great victory could be achieved. That's the only reason for it. That jar, and it seems like they're going home and they're saying, hey, wife, um, I need the sweet tea pitcher. Um, I'm going out to war, and she's saying, yeah, but... We can't afford another one. Well, I don't know. That's what Gideon said to do, so give it to me. Is it going to come back? I don't know. I haven't heard yet what's going to happen to it. And maybe he's in trouble when he comes back home because he didn't bring the clay pitcher back with him. But the point is, is that this, this pitcher, the existence of this pitcher in the story is simply to hide the light for a while until strategically it's in the right place. And then, bang, it's broken the Pieces fall to the ground, never to be heard from again, or seen again, or be used again. But victory is achieved because of it. Now, that being the case, let's go back and read the story and see if that makes if it if it means a little extra to us now. Starting in verse three. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Midianites were, I don't know, they certainly weren't, weren't Yahweh worshipers. I don't know what God they worshiped, but they were heathen. They were sinners as far as the Israelites were concerned. And they could not see the light inside those jars. But the moment the jar was broken, the moment the jar was destroyed, the light that was in it, was made visible to the unbelievers. And it was the expansion of the kingdom. It was the realization of what Israel had longed for. God's glory again revisited on them. So, just conjecture with me. But if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And yet he says it right before that. He says, but we're not coming to you with deception. We're coming to you. Our clay jars are as godly as we can make them, if you know what I'm saying. He's referencing himself as a clay jar. The treasure of Christ is inside him. He's not saying, hey, we're coming with a bunch of dirty jars. We're coming presentable. We're bringing truth. But some people the light is veiled from. And the truth of the matter is that's how it is in our world today. I remember when my sister-in-law was saved, we were having a revival at our church. And this is what happened. This is how she, she told us this. She said, she was sitting in the back of the church, and we were, revival was there. The Holy Spirit was working on people. People were confessing sins. And she said this. She said, if 
I had known that those people were like me. She said, I just thought they were all perfect and holy, and I was the only one that struggled with sin. And it was in the confession of sin, the brokenness of a life being exposed, that the light of Christ went out and went into her life. The kingdom was expanded because of it. So he says, there's people around us that it's veiled from. This light, this glory of, of Jesus. And we have this treasure in clay jars. So that this extraordinary power, the Lord told Gideon, I don't want you to get the glory for it, I want it to come to me. This extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Now listen to what he says next. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted. That's, that's being beaten and, and tried to be drowned and thrown out of cities for Jesus' sake. But we're not abandoned. We are struck down. He was left for dead. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. Now listen, if that happened to you, when, I'm, when I got too much pressure on me, what's the first thing? I lash out at God. Why, why are you doing this to me? When I'm perplexed, God, give me wisdom. Why don't you give me some wisdom here? When I'm persecuted, I haven't been persecuted yet, but had I, were I to be persecuted, I'd be like, God, you've abandoned me. And if I was killed, but I'm not destroyed. Now, I think Paul is telling us something. I think we're just clay jars with a treasure inside us. And you know what? That story of Gideon happened about 3,000 years ago. And if you could imagine those clay jars as living entities when they were broken, they never saw. They never saw the victory. They never saw the crushing of them and what it made happen. I thought about it this morning with D-Day. You know, we talk about the men who landed on the beach and were cut down. But you know what? Every one of those who died never saw that their sacrifice caused in a great part the end of the war. Do you ever think about that? I think about it for myself like if something were to happen to me, I would long to know that my family would track straight, that my boys would grow up and, and go on to affect the world. But I'm just a clay jar, and when I'm broken... And when I'm struck down and when I'm finally no longer conscious, I won't know anymore. And it'll be in God's hands. It'll be in the hands of the Holy Spirit who was quite able to handle it all the way up to me and is quite able to go on from there. So he says in verse 12, So death works in us with life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed and so I've spoken we also believe, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us all and present us with you. And so he says, I'm a clay jar, and I've got light inside me. I've got the treasure of Jesus Christ in me. But I know that in the process of being a clay jar with the light inside me, there's going to come a point when I'm going to have to be. I am going to have to have a hammer taken to me and smashed. It's the reason that the clay jar exists, so that there will come a point when in my brokenness, the light of Jesus will go out. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not an option if you're a Christian. There will come a point for some more than others. We had a preacher at our church years ago whose, whose uh, 
sister-in-law, he, they lost three of the five kids one, like in various times. And he said he went to, when he found out that the third son had died, he went over there and he said, she's laying on the couch. And she looked at him and said, why do I have to lose three when some never lose any? There's no answer to that. But there is brokenness. And the fact of the matter is we want our lives to be... We, we spend a lot of time making our jars nice. I want to have a nice jar for the Lord. And you see someone struck down and you say, God, what, what, is that? what kind of economy do you just smash jars over? Because there's light inside it, that's why. And it's the only way that some people are going to see that light. Charles said, uh, um, was it your niece that came to Christ? But the fact of the matter is, I guarantee you, if you had said, hey, Brother Charles, would you be willing to let your daughter die so your niece... No! No! I was thinking about it because we were on the beach the other day, and I was thinking, I was worried. I was worried with the waves, and I was, it was rough out there. And all I could think was, I'm going to bring all my kids home. I'm going to bring all my... But we were with the Shads, and his two boys were out there too, and I thought, what if I had to choose... What if one of his is drowning and one of mine is drowning? Who do I choose? <sighs> the fact of the matter is, is if you believe that you, the treasure of Jesus is the real treasure and the light of Jesus in you is the real light, and if your jar needs to be broken for the light of Jesus to shine, then you better get ready for the hammer because it's going to come somewhere, sometime. Now, Jesus has a way of being able to take a broken jar and patch it back together and make it glorious for him. But I don't think he quits. I think sometimes he lets the hammer fall again. It's really easy when life is good to forget that sometimes life is hard. It's really easy. And I don't understand... I don't understand because it frustrates me. <laughs> I say all this, and then I say this. God, why did you let that person die? That person who's a good husband, why don't you kill off the bad husband, you know? Like, there's some people I know that you could get rid of, and it wouldn't be so bad. Why Jimmy's family? Sometimes the only way that light gets out is when the jar is broken. And I mean that sincerely. And Anne said, God is good. That's what she said, Janice, right? Anne said, God is good. I'll tell you this. I believe the only reason that she could say this is because she had prepared herself ahead of time for the hammer. It doesn't matter, as you said, Charles, it doesn't matter what God, what God does. It doesn't matter how my jar is broken or if it's broken or when it's broken. It doesn't matter. The point is that the treasure is inside the jar. And the treasure is him. And so I want to encourage us this morning. I want to encourage us not to, be, not to walk around with a martyr spirit and, oh, God's going to get me. I'm not talking about that. I'm, but this is, that's not the attitude in here. Paul says we're pressured, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. He's left for dead beside the road, and he did not consider that to be abandoned by a Savior who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's some serious, 
serious commitment to a God who can run his life however he wants to. He doesn't care. For Paul, it didn't matter when the hammer fell as long as the light that was in him was able to go out. So, if we can look at if we can look at him and if we can look at what he does in our lives and we can say it's for the kingdom I think it takes on a new meaning um, verse 16 says therefore we don't give up even though our outer person is being destroyed our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction the crushing the persecution the despair Momentary light affliction. Three times shipwrecked, or three times in the sea, left for dead. Rejected by all of those who had been his comrades in school. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. When I was growing up, I, I remember often um, Romans eight twenty eight being used in a in a time of crisis. Somebody loses a loved one, a child, a a spouse, a father, a mother, and we would say, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And I came to resent that verse. And here's why. I couldn't figure it out. There's nothing on the face of the planet that is worth me losing my wife over. I don't care what I get from it. There is nothing on the face of the earth that's worth me going through what Jimmy is going through right now. I don't care what other good can come to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not, a, it's not an equal turnaround to me. And then I read a book one day of a, a, a pastor who was dying from cancer writing letters to his nephew. And this is what he said about Romans 8.28. He said, we always try to claim it personally. He said, stop looking at it as a personal thing and start looking at it as a kingdom thing. And we saw it this morning. We saw Charles lose his daughter 20 years ago. And the comfort that he was given is passed on within the kingdom, didn't get his daughter back. It was passed on within the kingdom. Y'all know the, the uh, song, When Peace Like a River, It Is Well With My Soul. You know the story. The man lost all five of his children, lost his business, and he wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. He never regained those five children. He never regained his business. Matter of fact, he went to the mission field and wound up half crazy. But that song continues to inspire people 150 years later. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've got to stop looking at loss and trying to somehow reassimilate gain back to us. He says here, there's going to come a day when the eternal weight of glory is going to come rushing in on us. And we'll know that it was okay then. But for right now, we have to let the jar break and be okay with the pieces laying in the dust. Do you understand? You move forward. God, you made that jar to begin with. You hold the hammer. You know when it's going to fall. It's okay with me if the jar has fallen to the dust. 
and I'm going to struggle with it, and I'm going to be perplexed, and sometimes I'm going to feel like it's not fair. But as Charles said too, if we can't talk to him about it, who are we going to talk about? And I think, I know for myself, I need to be okay with not seeing victory. I need to recognize the fact that it's his kingdom after all, and I'm a player in it, and I'm thrilled to be a player in his kingdom, and I'm wanting my, all of my kids, and I want all these kids in this room, all of the young people to be strong warriors in that kingdom. I want them to love the Lord and take the kingdom out as hard as they can. But there will come a day when my pot will finally break, and I won't know after that. And it will be in the hands of the Holy Spirit just like it was before. It's going to happen to all of us. There was a poem that I heard years ago about Mary at the cross looking at Jesus as he's dying. And this this is what the poem says. I want you to listen to it. Her face showed grief but not despair. Her eyes, though bowed, had faith to spare. And even now she could suppose her thorns would somehow yield a rose. Her life with him was full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds may hide the rising sun and all seem lost when all is one. Somehow in her mind, she could see that God writes straight with crooked lines. So I was sitting there this morning as I was thinking about that poem. I was thinking, how does God, how could you write a straight line with a crooked line? And you know what struck me? It's possible. The top of a paper, we look at it as flat. And so we see it, we see it as flat. And we write on it as a straight line. But if you were really small and you could look edge on, as we are to the Creator, a straight line across the top would go dip, 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 up and down all across that paper. But on top it's straight. From His perspective, He knows what's right. And I I don't pretend to understand I don't pretend to understand what we're going through now or what it could benefit us as a church or what it could benefit Jimmy or what it could benefit the kingdom. But I do know this, that sometimes pots have to break for the light of Christ to shine out. And I know some folks who the light of Christ right now shining out of Jimmy and Ann's brokenness and their family's brokenness. I know some people in their life that could really, really benefit from seeing Jesus where they would see anger and hatred in anyone else. That's all I have. I hope it was um, something that you could benefit from. I know for myself I want to be a pot that, I want to be as shiny for Jesus as I can, but when it's time for the the hammer to fall, I want to have the light of Jesus. Because the last thing I wanted to say is this. You know when when the pot breaks, everybody knows whether there's a light inside it or not. Can you imagine those 300 men and some are like, ah, I don't feel like taking the torch. And they break the pot and everybody says, what in the world? You don't have a torch in there. And see you young people who are growing up in the church. You might want to look inside your pot and see if there's a light in there because it will be broken at some point and we'll know whether the light is in there or not. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www dot bacon's castle dot com